1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Boat Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is the simplest way to share your hunt. From the easy-to-use and budget-friendly Solo to the latest and greatest 4K 5.0, Tacticam makes it easy for you to relive or review your hunt. Check them out at Tacticam.com. Now, this week we talked to um, one of our good friends at the Whitetail Experience, Byron Horton. Um, We talk about different tactics, how to use terrain. We talk about filming and producing. Um, and then on to his latest adventure, uh, the Whitetail Experience podcast. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to welcome our latest Patreon, Brandon Sadler. Now, Brandon's from Maryland. And what I think is crazy about this is he doesn't have any social media. So he was just able to follow, follow along with us, track us down uh, organically without... Uh, any of the newfangled Instagram, Facebook, uh, any of that stuff. So, uh, you know, thanks for supporting the show, Brandon. We really do appreciate it. And now Brandon is uh, signed up for our quarterly giveaway. So last quarterly giveaway winner was John O'Bannon. Congratulations to to John. Um, and he was one of 42. So uh, the odds are really good in these quarterly giveaways. And this quarter, we're going to be giving away the Traeger Pro Series 575. And that's got the Wi-Fi, the, their Wi-Fi technology, which is something like that's the um, Wi-Fi enabled. You know, you can turn it up, turn it down. John's got that on his Traeger. I don't have I don't have that on, on the Camp Chef that I've got. So um, that, that's going to be a really awesome feature for somebody. That's an $800 grill. Um, that we're giving away to one of our patrons with some excellent odds. So um, we're also going to be giving away a Tacticam solo package, um, and that's going to help jumpstart into somebody who wants to start filming their hunts, as well as our friends at Base Map are giving away one of their pro packages as well as some swag. Um, you can check them out at uh, basemap.com, and if you sign up online uh, from the computer, you can use Chronicles. Uh, all lowercase to get 20% off. So that makes a year of the pro package 24 bucks, which is an incredible deal. But, um, you know, if you're interested in that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, or you can check it out at bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com and just click the Patreon link. But if that's not for you, no big deal. Um, We just really appreciate everybody listening, everybody that supports the show, uh, everything that 
you guys give back to us, um, be through, you know, following along with our YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, any of that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, if, 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 if you like what we're doing, just tell a friend, just tell somebody else that helps us grow. I mean, we see our numbers going up every, every episode, every month, and we do appreciate that. Um, and if you really like what we're doing, go ahead and leave us a review. You know, we get thousands of downloads and we've got like 89 or 90 reviews. So, you know, if you're following along and you have been for a while, um, you know, go ahead and leave us a review. Let us know what you're doing. What, what we're doing is good, bad, and different good, bad, or ugly. We appreciate all of them. And then be sure to check us out, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're starting to get into the video stuff. This one is uh, our first podcast that we did over Zoom. Um, So it's a little bit out of the norm, but kind of with everything we've got going on, it's kind of the way that we had to do it. So um, definitely check out our YouTube for some of the video podcasts that are dropping. I just put out two of our last video podcasts, and hopefully each one is getting a little bit better and a little bit better. This one will be out next week. Um, It's up for the patrons. They kind of uh, take a look at it and give me some critiques and ways to improve. Um, But I know you're going to love this episode. Byron's got some great information. And uh, thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And we're sitting down today, again, another one of these strange COVID, uh, new to us type things, doing a uh, Zoom chat here uh, with Byron Horton from the Whitetail Experience. Um, So if you guys are following along with us and you're not following along with the Whitetail Experience, you're really missing out because um, these guys, you know, are basically two or three steps ahead of like where we're at, you know, you, when you talk to Byron and Dave, he'll say, you know, uh, you, you know, we're, we're aspiring to be big buck killers. You know, we've, we've knocked some good ones down and, and we're, we're kind of working towards, um, that next level. But, um, as we sit down and talk with Byron here, um, you know, the people that he associates with are the creme de la creme. So, you know, as we talk to guys like Byron and that's, that's kind of like what we aspire to be, you know, he's, he's sitting down with, um, you know, the DeQuistos and the, the guys from, uh, whitetail addiction. So, um, it, it's kind of like a, who you surround yourself with and, uh, you know, kind of a, an act like you've been there before. Um, I feel like, um, so how are you doing tonight, Byron? And, and you feel like that's kind of an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think you, you touched there on, on a few things as far as uh, what we got going on. And uh, I'm doing well, man. It's a, a crazy time right now. And, and, you know, we're a week out from turkey season, so I'm pretty excited. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we try to do this at ATA, and it's just a, a crazy busy um, time. And, you know, you're actually working. We're just there kind of fucking around and drinking beer and hanging out and seeing our friends and stuff. Um so it, it's kind of probably a little different for you, but uh, I know you like to talk tactics and you like to talk, um, all, all the, all the fun stuff. Um, so, uh, give us a little bit of history on you and, and the whitetail experience and kind of what you guys do, who you are and, and all that. Sure. Sure. So the whitetail experience was, uh, you know, we're a group of guys that, that, one day decided sitting there working on a truck that said, you know, we've knocked down a couple public land bucks let's uh let's make a run at, at filming 
and uh, let's see what that looks like and, and try and piece together some stuff that, you know, we were big fans of Whitetail Adrenaline. Um, and, and so that was that that was kind of the birth. And this is rewind about five years ago. Um, and since then, the Whitetail experience obviously has kind of evolved and, and we built this brand um, primarily around like video content, um, public land centered. We've got, you know, roughly... 10, 15 years experience as far as, you know, our hunting public land. And so we, we kind of bring some aspects as far as, uh, you know, tactical stuff on there, uh, mobile hunting tips, uh, as far as our videography has kind of evolved. Um, me, myself, I'm actually, you know, now doing some work with, with Lone Wolf Custom Gear, XOP, um, traveling, you know, to Iowa and shooting the, these pieces that you, you see as far as like ATAs. Yeah, release videos, um, product release videos. I'm now doing some editing for Whitetail Addictions, and that puts me around a lot of guys doing this very high level. Um, so, so yeah, the, the Whitetail experience centered around the YouTube channel, and obviously the social media kind of follows that day-to-day stuff, just like similar to your guys' brand as far as what we've we got going on on a daily basis. And so uh, with yourself, you know, kind of I, I alluded to, um, and, and you talked about, you know, you guys have put down a few good ones in this and that. Um, I, I love to hear your story, um, because it mimics a lot of the guys that, um, that we've talked to on the podcast previously, um, in a sense of guys that start hunting later in life. Um, and I don't know if it's even, uh, it could be akin to like even guys that like, go back to school as an adult. Um, I feel like they take it more seriously or like there's a whole different, um, mindset. And so when you talk to guys that, uh, you know, haven't had a hunting mentor, they start later in life. Um, it it just seems to be like, those are the guys that kind of figure it out. Um, can you talk to us about your journey, um, you know, as a hunter? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I actually got introduced a little later. Like I was, uh, let's see here, 17. I went out for a gun season, 18, 19. I I was, you know, crossbow hunting with a one piece overall suit that I borrowed from somebody in a, in a Horton used crossbow. And then after that, I was kind of, I went to college and I was like, okay, I've got to hunt public land because I had no, no other access. And, and, and I kind of had to start figuring it out. And, part of like the background of the whitetail experience was I feel like I was very tricked by the industry. You know, I was sitting there in college and I would like sneak into the dorm that had the cable package and watch the outdoor channel. And I'd be watching these guys kill, you know, 130, 140 plus inch deer on, on food plots. And, um, they'd rattle them in, they'd grunt, you know, these deer in. And it was like, they just, you know, hunted a few times, same stand and, and, boom, a, a, a big one would show up and they'd kill it. And so that's how I thought you had to hunt. And that, I thought, you know, you needed food plots, uh, Carbon Express, uh, you know, arrows, rage broadheads. I thought products killed deer. And, and so the White Toe Experience actually kind of one of my like goals or messages with that is is kind of showing that, that that's not the case. Um, if you want to kill these, these higher caliber deer, this is kind of what it's going to take, at least as a guy here in um, – in Ohio hunting public land or, or, or whatever. But like, I would love, you know, for a, for a college age kid who's ate up with deer hunting, like I was to see, you know, what we're doing and be like, okay, if I want to kill, you know, a Pope and young level buck, I've got to scout my butt off in the winter 
and I've got to, you know, put my time in come, come fall. And I just don't think if you rewind the, the, the industry, uh, 10 years ago, the, the, it didn't show how the average guy could go out and, 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 and kill good deer. Um, and whether that just be, you know, and I know you guys are in Michigan and I'm not foolish and, you know, enough to think, okay, a guy kills a, a 90, hundred inch deer in Michigan. That's like being here and, and killing say that 130, 140 class. Like that information I don't think was as prevalent say 10 years ago. And so like, I, I think that kind of has directed to me at, at where I'm at today and kind of showing that journey. And so with us, you know, we've got, you know, listeners, um, from all aspects, but I think the guys that kind of gravitate towards us are the guys that are, um, frustrated with the industry are guys that are, um, you know, just starting out and they don't really have anybody that they can really relate to. And that's kind of why we started the podcast. Cause when we started the podcast, man, I mean, I guess if you looked at the day that we jumped off and actually started podcasting, um, that's when everybody decided that there wasn't something that they could relate to. And so there was a bunch of podcasts that have come and went and there's a few that have stuck around, but you know, for us, it was just like, you know, we've got, you know, a a lot of experience between John with the, the bows and stuff and Frank, and then me with all the failures. Um, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's more relatable, um, to have that conversation to say, you know, look, you know, I got so much like uh, almost like pats on the back. You know, I killed a, a four point on public land, but it was the first buck that I killed on camera. And, you know, it was just one of those scenarios where I tell John, you know, John particularly, because uh, he has put in the most time carrying the camera outside of myself. You know, uh, Frank and his buddy, they don't do it this year is going to be different. Um hopefully, but you know, these deer walk past John and he doesn't shoot them. And it's like, you know, why are we carrying all this shit out here if we're not going to film anything? And then the first deer that I had the opportunity to kill was this little buck. And I was like, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do it. I even said it on the podcast. And then I just heard myself reprimanding John saying, well, what the hell are we doing if we're not going to video anything? Cause I mean, you, one of the things Frank told me a long time ago was you got to get a couple under your belt. And I think that that same thing holds true with, with the filming aspect of it. Cause it, as you know, doing it yourself is fucking hard. So, but by posting that video and posting that picture, you know, so many guys were like, we're so happy to see somebody that's posting a four point and, you know, owning it and, you know, it, saying that they had a blast and it was about the, that experience rather than just saying, well, yeah, I shot one. It's not the biggest buck, but, um, that that sort of thing so i mean it's just one of those unfortunate things with quote unquote the industry that you know even with social media now where it's hard to tell if who's the industry because of pro staff and this and that and the other thing everybody wants to post up a picture of their you know if you didn't kill a 140 you didn't kill a buck so you know what's the point of going and i think that that's kind of where people um, see us and, and being in Michigan, um, it's really easy to be self-deprecating because, you know, we can go out and, you know, you can't kill a, a 150 if there's not one there. So, um, sure. and, and there's, there's good deer in Michigan. And I heard you say on one of your podcasts that, uh, you probably would never hunt Michigan. And I think that, I think that you should, I think that you should come and just see the, you know, 
if if you can if you can throw those darts and find a spot and then just see what what stumbles by um you know it, it just i mean cuz we've hunted ohio and it's 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 completely it's completely different than than Michigan just by the the sheer number of bucks and the sheer i mean everything that we saw and maybe that's yeah. because We've, quality of bucks everything well but i think that maybe just because of like the amount of time that we've had in the woods it's like you know we kind it is kind of reassuring that you like know what you're looking for and then you know there's a buck that i i uh, kick myself that i didn't kill in missouri this year um it wasn't big enough for me but I've never made that decision before i've never had to say well that one's not big enough really because i just you know shoot deer as they as they come by but you know you go out of state and you're expecting something and it's the first day and the amount of pressure and everything just kind of screwed everything up but getting back to it like i say i think that that whole thing with the industry is like where this whole thing you know with podcasts and with youtube and with everything you know it's kind of changed the whole dynamic um of the industry so from your perspective being you know basically i mean I, I suppose people think that we're in the industry like john and i and frank and it's like well we've only are in the industry because we've inserted ourselves we've just said okay this is what we're going to do and uh we just keep talking and you know some people listen some people don't but um from being actually working with uh brands and people that are putting out um you know hunting shows i mean you're editing you know whitetail addictions which I don't know how that's going to be uh, produced. Like, is it going to be a show on TV? Is it going to be a web show? Is it going to be, you know, there's so many options now where, like you said, 10 years ago, it wasn't. So what do you see from the industry perspective from saying what you uh, were exposed to when you started out to, to now? Yeah, I think, I think the one, the, the amount of information out there, um, is a is a more realistic aspect uh, especially with podcasting i think information for guys seeking uh very oh detailed information on a, on on how they hunt or what certain topic they're interested in from even say like a habitat improvement guy who's got 10 acres there are podcasts and and youtube videos galore on how to make a 10 acre a hunting piece of property the best you can. And there are plenty of oh, YouTube videos and podcasts on, on guys hunting, let's say the, the mountains of West Virginia. Um, I, I think the industry is in a very, uh, it's, it's changing rapidly, especially in the last oh, five years. Um, YouTube is now somewhat more popular than carbon TV in some aspects. And the fact YouTube could take all the hunting shows that are there uh, away overnight is a very real fact. Um, TV show people aren't necessarily like what it used to be. Like I, I've ne I haven't watched Lee and Tiffany in six years. You know, I haven't watched the Drury's in, in, in years. Um, but I have caught a hunting public uh, web show. I have listened to podcasts of all sorts of sizes and locations from, from guys putting them out of Florida to Michigan, uh, public land focused, private land focused, uh, cool stories of chasing deer for multiple years. Um, so I think the industry is it, very, I, 
I don't know if fragile is the right word, but it's definitely in a, a shifting type type place, I feel. Um, and, and as far as me being in the in- industry, no, I have a day job, um, but I've got a couple lucky bounces to get me in, into some of these companies. But, you know, that was also some skills that I built with the whitetail experience that somebody saw and said, well, we want you to do this for us. Um, so it, it does take a lucky break. It takes some skills and ability on your own. But um, yeah, I think the industry is in a very shifting type place right now. And I think it's good for the guy, like kind of how, what both of these brands are built around in, in that evolution guy, that guy wanting to improve. I think he can find the information he wants to. And so with you guys, how you started out, like say, just a couple guys in a, a, a truck saying you want to film, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, and, and one of the things I, I know you are, are uh, you interact quite a bit with Kevin from the Deer Hunter podcast. Um, you know, when you guys talk about putting out a film versus, you know, a vlog or a, a, just a, a, a kill sequence, you know, everybody can't be the, the hunting public. You know, they, all they do, they don't have day jobs. Now, it might seem like they're just vlogging or they're just doing this or that or the other thing. And hunting all the time, you know, they're rotating off because their job is editing those, putting them out, and they edit for other people and, and, and things like that. Um, so how has your evolution come from filming for, you know, because we're just starting out, and I, I feel like we're in that same spot of trying to figure out, like, what we're going to do um, as far as, like, are we just going to put out all the hunts that we do, and even if we don't kill anything? Because uh, generally speaking, we don't have stories with, like, we have history with this deer or shit like that. It's like, we go out and it's like, all right, there should be a deer here. Yup. Okay. Kill them or don't. Um, it's not, it, it isn't real thought. I mean, would you say that John is the. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm terrible at you know, telling the whole story. Like I shot a doe this last fall and for one, I had it on the wrong doe when I shot was perfect shot killed it but it was you can hear the sound of the arrow hitting the deer but up until that point i i was like rushing you know i had my son with we were heading up to another spot for the weekend and we had checked out some other spots on the way up and i should have been filming the whole time and telling the story but i did i was i neglected it just you know was trying to just get the hunt done and then ended up killing the deer and so at that point like, and it was snowing and stuff. I didn't have the B-roll. My son did follow me in video, you know, as we tracked it and then, you know, hauled it out. But it was like, at that point, so we didn't do anything with that footage. But, so, yeah, it's just, it's, like today, I went and did a bunch of turkey scouting as our season starts, my season starts Saturday. And then, yeah. I ended up, that's why I was late tonight to the, to this podcast I was at another spot and I was walking around filming and you know doing the whole thing telling the story because yeah. Adam's like make sure you get get some footage of you talking and uh, <laughs> so then I got back to the truck and I was like okay and then I looked at the time I was like oh shit I'm supposed to be back at the house and I'm you know three miles back in the woods on a, a whoop-de-doo trail it took forever to get out of my truck and it beat the hell out of it the old poor thing but so anyway yeah, we, I guess our, we have to work on the whole story thing, or I do anyway. You know, I mean, Adam's good at, he's 
good at talking, obviously. He talks 99% of the time. And, you know, and he's like, if you look in my garage, I have a drawer now that's full of all the camera gear. So he just keeps bringing stuff like, well, here, do this. He's like, he's giving me all the tools. I just need to uh, utilize them. So. Sure. But it sounds like you, you filmed some stuff tonight that, like, if you look even at your deer season, you've you've already made a step of improvement where you're getting a few few clips. But, like, kind of to back up, Adam, to your original point there, if you look at, at, at making videos, uh, whether whatever style you, you kind of figure out, which, which there is no oh, plug-and-play answer, but the best thing I could tell you as, a, as an early videographer, as a young, you know, early in that, that development, is you you know how you get better at, at doing videos? Well, you do videos. You you make them. You you do. You decide. Okay, I'm I'm gonna film. Even if you guys go out for a shed hunt, let's let's film it and then let's put together a one minute video of this shed hunt. Even if you don't find anything, if you find some cool rubs, you talk about it. You you because then when you get back in the editing room and you're you're looking at your clips, you realize this clip's way too long. This clip sucks. These three are awesome, and and you just you got better at video editing just by going ahead and, and making an effort there. Um, you know, Adam, you, you kind of talked about how do you, how do you create story? How do you build a good video? I, I think part of that is practice. Part of that is, is, uh, is doing it just like uh, with sports, with, with anything like you, you, you get better by practicing and, and doing them. And I, I, and I don't think I would be discouraged either by lack of camera gear uh, to, to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, uh, I see a lot of guys walk around ATA with, with thousands of dollars more than, than myself. And, you know, it, it, I had a producer tell me, he said, don't ever be embarrassed by your gear. And he goes, you know, hone your craft and then be better than what that, that camera or that, you know, whatever video gear you have and, and then upgrade. Um, so, so it sounds like John, like you, you got a few clips tonight that if you kill a bird here, uh, this week that could play into if you're going to make a, a turkey hunting film, but like you, you understand that you, you, you took your deer season and said, Oh, I should have got a couple more clips. Well, you're already starting to improve and, and being a solo producer, like if you're the hunter and the producer, you got two jobs to do and it's tough because if you don't focus on hunting. You're probably not going to get the job done. And then if you slack on the producer, you're going to go to edit or, or build this story and be like, ah, shit, I don't have, x y and z to make this that much better but uh it's a conscious effort uh to do both and it's a pain in the ass to do both so let me ask what um editing software do you use when you're you know producing yours sure i uh, i'm a final cut guy um and i started though with imovie um because you know most guys can can get their feet wet and that program i think is either free or uh very low cost if you don't have it. Um, there's a bunch of them out there, but, but, but start and then make the jumps when, when your skills allow, when, you know, if, if, you know, you're just cutting stuff up, iMovie can be fine to get something to YouTube and, and edit it up. That's, I, I, I don't see why, uh, you know, you shouldn't start there. So, you know, you talk about being a producer and, uh, and a hunter. So let me give you a, a, scenario a um uh hypothetical if you will um let's say you were in a pandemic sort of situation where you can't be in the same vehicle in the same blind in the same tree um and you were trying to film a turkey hunt 
you know, how do you do the communication? How do you do that, that sort of, you know, the, get everything you need from afar? Sure, the learn sign language. <laughs> so, so, so if I'm going to go film John Turkey Hunt tomorrow, uh, hypothetical, can I roll with that as kind yeah. of our scenario? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if you wanted to do it Saturday. Um. <laughs> You want me to send you my day rate? Uh, but uh, okay, so so if I was going to film John, obviously during this 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 COVID nineteen uh, issue, um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lay that down in the in the first uh, bit of this 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 video, whether this is a video log or a full blown video production. I've got to somehow tell the audience that we're going to film a turkey hunt in the middle of COVID nineteen, whether that be uh, oh clips of, of, of uh, news release, something on the TV, uh, just a couple extra, you know, me telling the camera that and then showing me like wiping down my hands at the gas station with a, a, a Lysol wipe or something as I'm driving up to, to film this turkey hunt. And uh, knowing that if, if, I guess if it's, this is going to be filmed at a distance, we're going to definitely have to utilize some wireless mics or um, shotguns, everything, uh, shotgun mics. And then, Everything that we're filming, we're going to have to film two cars pulling into a parking spot and John's getting dressed at the vehicle over from me and I'm getting dressed here as his cameraman. I'm probably going to try and get a couple clips of us getting dressed 10 foot apart. Um, you know, maybe I catch you, maybe I yell at John a few times as we're whispering, going in in the dark, social distance, like, you know, if he gets too close to me or whatever. But but I think you got to play on that and and. and as far as, you know, set up, you got to set up 10 foot apart, but, you know, maybe you get over his shoulder. You probably should work out some sort of hand signals if you see a bird or, you know, I, you, that's it's going to be difficult. Um, but uh, that's kind of how I would start to build that thing up. Yeah, because, I mean, I was thinking about, like, I think, like I said, the way that we've got the setup, I mean, this year we're going to kill one and then we're going to go up to high five and be like, oh, shit, like. We can't celebrate this thing. <laughs> like, ugh, what a day! But I mean, th those are the things that are gonna gonna come, you know, after after the fact. Um, it, it's just gonna be odd, you know. Like, I say for for us, it's just a matter of like we're committed, and it's just putting the pieces together. I think one of the things that we both need to get past is not necessarily like the fear of failure. Um, because like you're going to have to start somewhere. And I keep telling John that like, you know, we got to start somewhere. It's just a matter of, of getting it done. Um, but I feel like we, we do our best to put out a good quality podcast. And so when you get a video that doesn't meet your expectations, because you've been like, for us, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. And it's just like, I know what I want it to look like, what I want it to sound like, how I want it to go. And it's like when that, you know, it's just kind of like run what you brung at that point. And it's kind of discouraging sometimes. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've had work in the last, uh, um, I, I wasn't the most thrilled with my 2018 buck kill. Um, as far as how I put it together as a producer. And, and a lot of that was just a little bit of slacking. I feel like of my infield production, you know, cause that, that, that's, that's, you know, 60% of it or whatever is done in field. But yeah, it's, it's, I, it does happen, but you, you got to start somewhere. 
Yeah. Um, I, I guess going to that, so while you're doing this this filming and and all this stuff, and you had mentioned shadow hunting and, and, and everything, um, you know, you guys do a lot of off-season, you know, your, your work is done a lot in the off season. So when you're, you're targeting these deer or, um, you know, like I said it before, like you're, you're a big tactic guy. Um, so, and I, I heard something interesting on one of your podcasts and we'll get to your podcast here in a minute. Um, but you were saying like you, you felt like you were, you were targeting too many properties and you kind of wanted to like pare it down to just, just one or two, four, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, I, I talked with, uh, Jason Campbell from, uh, from bed to dead and, uh, quite a few times about like taking one area and like learning it completely, you know, like inside and out. And if you've ever talked with Jason or had any interaction with him, he's a very intense dude. So it's like, he wants to know, you know, just be blindfolded and left somewhere and he can tell you exactly where he's at by the blade of grass. Um, and, and I think that that comes with why he is, um, so successful, but when you're choosing those few handfuls of properties, how are you choosing them? And like, is it because of the deer that are on there? Is it because it's one that's easy to hunt? access to your house i mean because we you know we talked a little bit about it where it's you know for the average working man you know you've only got so many hunts so much time you know and it's that 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 time management so how are you choosing those properties and why sure um so general breakdown i probably hunt 60 percent big woods 40 percent farm country um I, I would say, you know, your point as far as a couple of years ago, I was probably hunting probably six to seven pieces of public. And, um, I felt like I was spreading myself a little too thin and, and now I've dialed that number down to almost, we'll call it four, maybe five true pieces of public, um, and, and spending majority of my time there as far as, knowing a piece through and through, I think that helps. And I think, uh, you know, learning these areas year over year, I'm, I'm starting to be able to walk a lot of these areas and, and be like, yeah, there was a good one in here this year, or, you know, for whatever reason, uh, this piece, whether it's just not showing me that buck sign or, uh, deer sign in general, like I can tell a piece has gone a little bit colder, or maybe I notice a couple extra, uh, ladder stands in a certain area versus they weren't there two, three years ago. Um, so yeah, like I am, I am definitely, oh, concentrating on, on a, on a core group of, of public pieces. And as far as selecting those pieces, um, I, I do like the Hills because I think I can separate myself from individuals just cause I'm willing to, to walk, you know, a little further. I'm willing to walk, you know, up and down some Hills, like, you know, and get after the, the steeper terrain. I definitely think, like you mentioned, drivability, um, the ability to get to a piece is a, is a good factor. You know, you've got to have stuff that you can get to after work if you're going to do a weekday hunt. Some some people have lives that allow for that. Some people don't. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't – I could drive two and a half hours and cover most of the state, but 
that's just not as easy to do on a on a let's say a, a grinding type late October where I'm trying to hunt as much as I can. Um, you know, so I try to stick to oh roughly around an hour and a half from from home. Uh, I do try and look at pieces that are farther from metropolitan areas as far as you know uh, towns and, and stuff. And uh, I obviously try to avoid stuff that's uh, oh in the search engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you we ta- we uh, John before you got on here, we talked a little bit about where we hunted that last time and. In Ohio, and the amount of people that we uh, encountered there. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was ridiculous. Yeah, proximity to large cities is a, a big deal. Um, so, I get uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about because of tactics and things like that. People, um, our listeners, Patreons, you know, a lot of the questions that we field or I field um, are, you know, they want to know, okay what features are you looking for? You know, and a lot of it comes down to, I don't know, maybe like, like the real general principle type stuff of like, you know, are you hunting rubs? Are you hunting scrapes? Are you hunting this? Um, but one of the things I, you know, you, you had talked about when you're looking at a topo map and, and that's one of the questions that we get a lot is features on a topo map what is it that you're looking for? Um, and then I've heard you talk about, um, like different amounts of stem count and density and stuff like that. So can you talk about like when you're looking at a piece of property or even a, uh, aerial map on something like base map or, uh, you know, something like that, what is it that you're, that you're, you're targeting when you're quote unquote throwing darts on a new piece? Sure, sure. Are we talking big woods or are we talking farm country? Because I will kind of go about this a little different. I mean, if if it's completely self-serving, John and I don't hunt any farm country at all. Okay. Um, but I know yeah, we've got sense. listeners in Kansas and Missouri and, you know, that hunt kind of everything. So it's, sure. you know. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of steer this away from farm country um, and, and go kind of more of a big woods ha- habitat type and, and that's where you kind of talk more about topos in general I feel um, so what am I looking at initially um, if I'm looking at a big piece of public never been here before let's call it southern Indiana Kentucky somewhere even southern Ohio and what I'm going to look at first is big picture how does this piece of public sit in the bigger map um, are there maybe agriculture that runs down one side or another is there more roads in the northeast corner than there is over here on on the the west side so i will look at maybe a few of these bigger parameters if this is you know um a big piece of public on how it fits big picture looking at roads um because roads is access you know uh that that's then I'll, i'll zoom in a little tighter and uh, I'll probably flip over to satellite at this point and be looking for any sort of clear cuts, uh, changes in, in what I can see as far as density uh, of timber, if, if there's there's fluctuations there. Um, when you flip to, to, to kind of that aerial view, you can kind of see any sort of, um, oh, agriculture that may be, you know, a block or two to this, you know, off of the main public. And... Then let's see here. What will I go in and look at? I will look for saddles 
in and around, say, clear cuts, um, assuming I've got to get some distance between me and the road, I look for hogbacks, which is, uh, let's, let's, a, I, people call them all sorts of different things, but if you've got a big ridge that runs north-south and you've got some sort of oh, cut or hogback which runs up that, and, and, and there's going to be a point where that hogback stops, and generally those deer will not want to go up and down the hogback. Are you guys familiar with the term hogback or uh, cut? No, um, you okay. know. The, so on our, our, our uh, fam, my family's got 240 acres in the UP, yeah. and they always talk about this hogback ridge that's over there on the public that your grandpa used to hunt. Well, I've never sure. seen it, and I've always looked at and like, well, where did he used to hunt? And so, you know. There's a, some little ridges and undulations and stuff like that, but I'm not familiar with that term whatsoever. Oh, okay. I wouldn't – I would think – I know in our scouting videos we have, like, turned the camera around and be like, look at this hogback or look at this cut. And basically, you know, if you take a ridge and you've got a, a another oh, topography feature, a cut in the hillside that, that runs towards the top, generally they peter out somewhere around the – the bottom third, halfway, top, top third. But that essentially funnels deer because a deer, as he's traveling along this this ridge, he doesn't want to go up, down, out of that, that little cut. He wants to cruise where he can stay flat, flat, flat. And uh, we look for those a lot of times. And, we, you know, it's nice when you can put two or three features together um, where you can say, okay, here's a saddle, but here's the nearest hogback within say 50 100 yards of that saddle so now you've got two factors working for you oh wait there's a clear cut on the other side of this saddle so now i've got an area of 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 better food and cover in the area so now i've got three factors working so you know if i'm just if i've never put boots to the ground there because as soon as i put boots to ground then i can really start you know picking up on on what's going on in an area but if if i'm looking just at e-scouting a new piece I would say that is what I'm looking for. I'm, obviously, I'm I'm gonna assume I'm gonna look at leeward ridges that that are are favorable for cruising bucks in the rut um, on westerly winds, on north winds. Um, I'm I'm generally concerned with that upper third. I, I I would think unless the access is high. If the access is high, I you can you can we we've got some pieces of public where I feel like those deer know there's hunters on that top third and they tend to, to find the, the secondary shelves. Um, and then, uh, the other, like, I guess uh, wild card, if you really want to put your research in is get a hold of a forester map that has the cuts and you know, how old they are. Um, sometimes you got to do some digging to get to those, but that way you can kind of assess where the better clear cuts should be assuming you've never been there because until you put boots to ground, once you do that, you, I feel like, then you can really, I don't know, I'm not the best person at, at, at aging clear cuts just based on, on, on a, a topo or aerial. And, and, and sometimes you can't even see the, the secondary uh, cover that uh, an aerial doesn't show you to, to understand how thick an area is holding that may hold a, a couple more does um, because it's got that stem count stuff in it. And so when you're looking at, at clear cuts, and I've, I've heard a few different people talk about like hunting clear cuts and like a, a lot of times they'll hunt it seems like they hunt the bucks on the upwind side um for whatever reason because that's where they're betting and then they're mo moving around but um it, it, are you looking at it because 
there is more food. It becomes thicker over time. Um, sure. or, or, I mean, I mean, cause I can think of right now there's, um, area not far from where John was just scouting tonight that was clear cut like two years ago, but it's from the road and they just clear cut everything. And sure. uh, we, we've hunted deer back in there and I know that there's some bucks in there and it butts up to, uh, one of the other properties that we hunt. I mean, within, you know, a mile, mile and a half, you know, of just straight woods. Right. Um, right. But how are you, what are you looking for in those clear cuts or how are you using, utilizing them? Sure. So a clear cut one in general is a, is a sanctuary. So I like that because a, a deer can survive gun season pressure, um, which is important. Um, the, the, how, how I utilize them is, you know, I, I feel I'm finding more deer in areas that have a variety of cuts, uh, in ages. And I think too, it depends on what uh what is in the seed bank one when they do these cuts of what comes back is it more briars browse or is it you know woody stemmy habitat and until you walk them you kind of don't know or whatever but it also depends on if how they face do they face east and and, or kind of east to south and catch more sun uh you know northern cuts don't tend to, to get as grassy sometimes um or as briary um sometimes they, they tend to be more timbery. Um, how, how I use them is, um, I tend to scout those, uh, if I'm putting boots to ground and, and, and kind of let what I find, um, tell me how the deer are using it. Um, deer will bed in those deer will eat on those. Um, if you walk the edges and you can tell that that stuff's been, been browsed off, um, and you're finding deer shit, like, obviously that's a, that's a, an area holding deer late in the years generally, cause you're scouting in the winter. Um, you know, I look at some of the best access trails to and from these clear cuts, you know, can I, can I pick up on a saddle that's not necessarily right next to the clear cut, but leads right to it after a, a couple hundred yards. Um, I, I, I do, I, I wouldn't be afraid to hunt in a clear cut if it was kind of, oh, a little bit, you could navigate it if you will. If, uh, I plan to do that myself this year in an area that's got, you know, trees, we'll call it softball, baseball bat round. And then obviously some bigger ones cause deer can navigate this thing. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's one that I can navigate as well on the ground. I plan to, to hunt those. Um, I'm trying to think how else I really utilize them. Um, I definitely, I think clear cuts are something you got to put boots to ground or at least observe for some sort of range because there are cuts that uh, deer, I feel like, feed more around because it's, it's grassy, it's, it's brushy, um, and it hasn't fully popped. And then once they hit that whole roughly two to five year mark, I mean, that's just a, a, a thicket of everything for deer. And, and, and so that's, I, I just look at them as a huge bonus, and it's both bedding and feeding, but you know, I try to find some of these other stuff that we've just talked about as far as terrain um, to, to allow me to hunt them. If I've got a nice oak flat next to a clear cut, that's a pretty good October ambush type point because, you know, those deer don't have to move far from that cover. So so this, they're just a key factor in the overall what I'll call big woods approach. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's 
that's kind of like the scenario where uh, what I'm thinking about this place because there's definitely an oak flat right next to it. Um, and I've only ever hunted one, um, and it it's it's that it's that boots on the ground and I think it's like the, the stuff that, um, you know, the, the beauty of having Frank on our podcast, you know, and, and having him as a, an ax, uh, an asset, I guess. And all the things that he told me, like when I was younger that I just glossed over, I guess, and said like, Oh, this old man's crazy or, you know, just why are we doing this? But, you know, we went into a spot and there was a, an old clear cut and it was just all these uh birch whips that were all busted off and he's like the deer will come by and just eat off of these and snap them all off and he's like the bucks do that and i'm like that's crazy it's not a rub it's not whatever it's not anything that i've ever seen i set up 60 yards downwind of that and promptly missed a six point just just like that i mean within 45 minutes of being in there and and that's that's the only time that I've ever been in kind of like that situation as far as that. Um, so when you find these spots that, you know, you've, you've kind of decided that you're going to hunt, there's these terrain features or you're on the right side, you know, you see that there's, there's deer activity. There's the sign that you're looking for. There's the terrain features that you're looking for. Um, now you guys run a lot of cameras. John doesn't even own a camera and, uh- I, I'll back you up. I I would say until last year, we really didn't run a lot of cameras. And if you look at the team, you know the the core group of, of guys I hunt with, two of us have a have about a, a 12 ish camera arsenal. I counted today actually, and then Dave's got like two cameras, and like one of them's a junk Primos. Um, Andy, I don't even think he runs any cameras, so so it's not necessarily a we, we, if you look at a hole in our bucket, I don't think we utilize our trail cameras as good as we could. I think that's a, uh, we, we are still evolving on that game. Well, this is perfect because I have three or four cameras. Frank has two cameras. John has zero cameras. And that's just not part of like the way we hunt. Like I said, and that's why we don't have like experience with these deer because we usually go in and hunt a spot one or two times and then move on bounce from here to there to to wherever it's and it's you know it it isn't because we're targeting these deer we're just i mean that's one of the things that i've learned from frank and kind of like you know john does a lot of in-season scouting and but they set up i mean what i've learned is just to set up on sign rather than like a terrain feature or anything like i mean would you say that's a fair assessment john as far as like our style of hunting yeah yeah we uh you know the problem, you know, my buddy Jason that I hunt with, he, he runs cameras. You know, he's, I think he's got probably half a dozen, but he buys the cheapest ones he can because we hunt them all public. And I don't know how many times he's, you know, oh, lost a camera, lost a camera. You know, our, the spots that we were hunting, I mean, 95% of the time you go in there and, you know, even if you think you're, you're off the beaten path. No one's been here at all. So you look and like, oh, there's a old tree stand run of two by four. Someone's been here. Sure. You know, there's there's not spots that you know no one's been before. But you know, we try to get back in there, and, and so 
I do need to get some cameras. I've just been dragging my feet, looking, trying to figure out what's the best camera for the for my money. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. We lo- we lost three cameras this year too. Um, yeah. It, I think I think it happens more. And like you said, I, I think we find it on some of this public where you're like, you're like, Oh, I'm way back in here. Nobody's ever gone up and down two Hills. Well, somebody got the private land permission to come in the backside on us. Um, in Michigan, you have even more hunters per square mile than, than anywhere. So I could see same kind of stuff go, going on easily in your neck of the woods. Yeah. And it's like, even, I mean, back before, you know, Onyx and Basemap and all that, you know, yeah, we had our GPS and you'd start walking around the woods and you're like, man, I'm, freaking miles from anyone sure. and then all of a sudden you pull it up on a gps like oh shit i'm only 200 yards from from this other trail you know like it really you realize how small of an actual area you're in i mean and so there's not there's not many places here in michigan that are like what dan infall said there's no places that you should be getting lost in though you, you can't get lost yeah but yeah it's it's so funny. I call BS on a lot of these forums where guys are like, I'm hunting two miles back. And I was like, dude, I would have crossed three roads by then. <laughs> right. I hunt one of the biggest pieces, in, or I used to hunt one of the bigger pieces of, of public in Ohio. And I think it's two miles by one mile. And that's like, like, what, like it literally from an outside view, it, it is one of the only roadless areas. And, you know, these guys that are claiming they were, they're walking two miles in the dark before the you know, daylight. I call shenanigans on that for sure. <laughs> they're parking down the road. <laughs> yeah. They, them guys also don't have any bucks on the wall sometimes too. <laughs> but so when you find these areas and you, you're hanging your cameras, like when are you hanging them? Where are you hanging them? And then when are you, how are you checking them? Sure, sure. And I'm going to preface this. Like I said, I only probably have a, a year-ish of really committing to trail cams because in the past, I'll put two or three out and I'll be like, these are distracting me from my mission during season. And I'm, I'm very much always aware of ground scent and tipping these deer off. I, I, so, so I don't want to come across here as a, a chair, trail cam guru by any means. Um, in the big woods, where am I leaving these cameras? Um, I will put them a lot of times, let's see here, on scrapes. I will probably deploy my Big Woods cameras a little later this year because those deer can migrate. They're more nomadic. Um, farm country. If what, I'm gonna, what's later? Um, later. Good question. So let's call it, um, I plan to deploy these actually late August, September. I, uh, I got done with a, a phone call with a guy out of Southern Ohio. Uh, he's Cisco, um, big buck killer, uh, has done it at a high level. And he's kind of, he, he knows my schedule. He knows I'm a busy guy. And, you know, we just got to talking and he's like, you might be just better off, the, you know, using your man hours. If you're going to deploy cameras, say traditional earlier summer, let's call it July 4th to, to earlier in the year. Um, you can go ahead and do that on farm country. You know, you can figure out where the beans are and, and, and deploy that way on, on, you know, kind of related to the bean fields, whether that be a good Creek crossing, uh, corner edge of a field, good trail system going to those beans. That's where I'm going to deploy my farm country cameras. And I'm going to do that once I know where the beans are going to be, uh, big woods this year, I'm, I'm, I'll probably put out a few mock scrapes and, and, you know, those, 
oh, hub scrapes that are there every year. I'll probably put a few cameras in and around that or a, a good pinching trail that's semi-close to the road that I can pop into, walk a couple hundred yards and, and, and grab it. Because when you're hanging these trail cameras elevated, one, you get a lot of, I feel like, airs. I feel like, dude, I if I put out 10 cameras, four will fail, whether that be a, a raccoon knocks it off its mount and it's now facing the ground, somebody steals it, uh, SD card fills because it's got a bunch of false triggers because it's elevated. Um, I'm not going to sit here and paint a picture that that stuff doesn't happen. Like I said, I probably have 40% of my trail cams fail. But the information I do get, if I get a good one, because of my off-season scouting, I think I've got a, a chance at that point. Um, I like to, in the big woods in the past, I put them on some creek crossings. And that's kind of nice because I can look at tracks because that ground's naturally a little softer. And obviously with creeks, you kind of get natural pinches where they're only going to cross that creek in like, you know, a few areas sometimes. And, and so that's nice. Um, but yeah, this year, my, 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 my big woods trail cam deployment is going to happen a touch later. And I'm also going to deploy a few cameras there on that, that shift late August, September, uh, bucks are migrating, um, into the big woods a little further. The acorns are dropping and the uh, velvet's coming off. So, so a lot of shifts are going on right there. Those deer are kind of repositioning. And, um, I feel after talking with some guys that those big woods deer, they'll put up with a little bit more because they're so nomadic. You can kind of get away with ground scent and, and, and kind of intruding a little bit, assuming you stay out of the better bedding points. Okay. And so when are you checking those cameras or, um, you know, the ones that are close to the road, you can check probably a little bit more frequently because they're not, it, it's not so much of an intrusion, I would imagine. Um, but then how far are you hunting from those? I mean, we've talked to guys like, um, you know, um, oh my gosh, uh, Scott who hunts the UP and hunts these dense, dense cedar swamps and his trail cameras might be a mile away from where he's hunting, but he knows that this is the travel pattern. So he's just trying to locate one of these deer. Um, sure. My, my farm country cameras, I just need to, I'm just trying to gather, um, number of shooters in an area and I really will never hunt the edge of a bean field or I will never hunt that trail right off a bean field for the most part. I'll never hunt some of these more obvious trail camera deployments in farm country. Um, those cameras, I, 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 I can get to a little quicker and easier. So I'll try and put them out here. Oh, over till about even July 4th. And, and something I think I'm big on is we are all working guys. We all have families. Like if you've got time in May and nobody else is doing trail camera stuff, but you got a free weekend from the wife, go get those cameras out because you don't know if like, Oh, I plan to deploy my cameras June 15th. You may roll your ankle and not be able to walk June 15th. Like I really feel like when you've got time and you've got something to get done on your whitetail calendar, get it done. Um, so uh, kind of getting back into your, your, when am I checking them? What am I doing? I still like to let these cameras soak long-term. These, I, I don't, I don't do any like two week checks, one month check in the summer. I really like to these cameras to be out there for, oh, at least a month and a half. I, the longer, the better for the most part. And, and my NC, you know, once I, once we kind of are looking towards, um, some of that deployment that we talked about in, uh, late August, September, those cameras obviously will go out and let's say I find a good Oak flat in, in, in a big wood section that is, is hotter this year. And it, 
it, it's got the oaks, it's got the deer tracks. I kind of want to know if a big one's in here. I'll de- let's say I'm going to deploy that August 30th, end of August. I'm going to try and slip in and, and check that camera if I happen to one be hunting in that area because generally we got to drive to these pieces. You know, they're an hour plus away. Um, somewhere around that opener you know if i can slip in there a couple days before the opener on a rain great if i can't get to it till october 5th because i hunt a piece that's you know within 20 minute drive then i after that hunt i'll go grab that camera and and look at that intel obviously when i'm going in there to to grab the camera i'm scouting i'm getting a visual on what's going on in the woods um you know the the cameras that are on the scrapes and, and the pinch points and kind of some of your more hunting location those cameras, um, one, I'll, I'll get them out if I go to hunt an area. I'll get them out if I'm in-season scouting. And I may not get to pull those until after the year. Once hunting season starts, I don't necessarily do a lot of scout or uh, camera missions. Um, that's an area I'm trying to improve on because I do see where I'm scouting on my way to these cameras. And I can utilize a picture knowing I saw a couple good rubs on a and uh, in, in another area and I got a good buck on trail camera my skills are to the point I can connect those dots um but like I said I haven't run too many cameras for 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 a long enough time and, and the better cameras you know the cameras that are a little more reliable I I had a few of those you know wild game innovation cameras right after college some some cheaper stealth cams and you know, you, can you really rely on those? But now I'm to the point I'm buying the, the, the better cameras that are more reliable because I realized, hey, I just spent $20 in gas to get to this piece. I need that freaking camera to, to, to do its job. So I, I, didn't, I didn't send you this ahead of time, but just from what you're saying, sure. you know, we, we, we talked a little bit of uh, – I did send you that I wanted to talk about goals. Um, yeah. But one thing that you mentioned in there was was shooters, um, and so I, I'd imagine that you you're uh, just by you know seeing your content, um, hearing your, your you talk on the podcast, um, you're basically talking about Pope and Young and and bigger, um, yeah. based on you know where you're at geographically. Like I said, for for Michigan, um, I feel like that's a pretty pretty heavy thing. So I, I just want to know how, um, what was your evolution, I guess, to get there? And do you think like, like we talked about earlier, like the people that you associate yourself with, has that changed? Like what you view as a shooter? Just, I mean, cause if you're editing videos that are Boone and Crockett bucks and they're passing these giant bucks, does it, does it go back to that, um, what the industry used to be where, or what it is now where Lee and Tiffany passed these seven-year-old buck named Jimmy because, you know, old Ted's over there and they're going to kill him tomorrow, you know? Sure, sure. So, so loaded question. So let's, let's look here. Um, you, you mentioned, I did that on purpose. That's okay. That's okay. So when I deem the term shooter and how has that evolved, what am I looking for? Um, so I, I'm kind of looking personally, this is kind of my, my goal. And this bar has kind of gone from a 120 to now I'm kind of looking for a, a 130 inch plus deer. Obviously he comes in, I got a thing for wide bucks. He's 22 inches wide. He could be a hundred inches, 90 inches. I'm probably going to shoot him. Um, I ran, you know, I do a decent amount of scouting. I do a decent amount of shed hunting, glassing and trail cameras. Going into last year, I knew of one deer that was 
140 plus. I knew where a bunch of 118 inch eight points were. And then there was a deer that was in the 130s that I didn't think he was going to be there because of small game pressure, just based on where I'd seen him a few times. So it's not like I've got all these shooters lined up. Um, but I kind of know if I, if I play my cards right at this point, and I, I put in my time, my effort, I can get onto a 130, I, I believe, uh, with my skills and abilities. Um, and I'm, I, I will say this, I messed up when I was going through this evolution by, by passing deer that I had no business passing. I can remember I, in college, I had a, a junk climber. I was on a piece of public. It was like October 15th. It wasn't even close to the rut. I passed like 115 inch 10 that because I'd watched all that, that stuff on TV, I was like, oh, he's not big enough. Dude, that would have been my biggest buck today. If you put the perspective of public land, limited time, because I was playing college soccer, like, why didn't I shoot that deer? Um, I can think of another time I had these, I had a piece of private um, property that I was hunting on the weekends and it was in a good section of Ohio. And I was sitting there on, on, on a public and uh, I had a 120-inch buck come in, grunting and pushing does at last light, November 2nd. And I said, oh, I've got two days to go hunt this better farm in southern Ohio. I'm going to shoot a giant. I had no business passing that deer. And I I, uh, I, I chose not to shoot him. And that was a take. Like, looking back, I would have learned so much from killing or at least coming to draw. Like, who knows? I would have maybe got cracked and that buck would have got away and I would have learned a lesson um, but I, I really messed up, I think early in my career by, by trying to hold out for something of that, that really high caliber, um, you know, that the industry had painted that picture of probably 130, 140s, um, kind of getting to your point as far as me being the editor of addictions, I'm spending time at Cody and Andre DeQuisto's houses on a regular basis at this point. And what that does to me, as far as my goals, my, inch, my you know, kind of my inches or caliber deer I'm after, you know, I, I, I don't think it has shifted me at all. I think inches are cool, but I also know based on the fact that I hunt with, you know, Dave Ebright, you know, good hunter, um, several good public land bucks. I've got a handful of other guys in my area, obviously the white tail experience core. We kind of know that you get that 130, you know, Pope and Young to walk by you, that can be easily the top buck in the area. And that also can shift a little bit on piece to piece. Uh, uh, the, the the higher pressure stuff, if you have a 115, that can be the biggest buck on the whole piece. Um, and, and so, like, I think I have done a good job, obviously, kind of while I'm editing and talking to these guys that are after these, these, these slammers. Most of these guys are trying to chase booners. Um, I realize that I don't have a booner out there to chase. You know, my booner is 130 inch deer and, and Cody and I have had a very cool conversation around Byron, you're trying to kill that top, let's say 10, 15% deer on public land that maybe he is a 135, you know, 10 point. He goes, he's trying to kill the 175, you know, on, on, on a farm in Iowa, but it's, it's still chasing that top percent deer. It's just there's a different in inches, and he knows that, and he respects that. And I think uh, we've spent enough time in the timber and setups that he looks at me and he goes, "Okay, like what you're doing, I get it." Uh, but you know, his goal is is kind of chasing his dad and, and that aspect and, and putting big booners on the ground versus me. I'm trying to kill that top deer I got access to, and that's a that's a 130 most of the times. 
And so how are you um, locating that top tier deer? Um, and one of the things I would mentioned to you that I wanted to talk about was glassing. Like I tried that last year because there is a, a piece of, of farm country kind of deer that um, that I was driving around looking for deer. And, and that's one of the things I'm, I mean, that's kind of what got me to target buck beds and our listeners have heard it before, but like, that's the first time that like, I knew that I had to switch from my climber because I couldn't find a tree and I had one thirty stand up 60 yards away and run off. And I'd seen him three days before and that's why I was there. And that was, that was driving around glass and that same piece holds big deer. Um, and I got the full draw on a 110 inch eight point or so this year, um, on the ground walking around awesome. after seeing them. And, and that was cool for me because it was the first time that I got that close. I mean, that was like legit hunting public, like, well, I saw a deer over there. There's nothing, you know, my day's done. There's people driving around. I'm just going to get out and walk and kind of just still hunt. And I walked right up on this doe, uh, this buck that had this doe bedded. And, um, you know, I got to full draw and it was just too thick to shoot him. But that was the first time on the ground. And like, it was like me and him eye to eye. And it was like two more steps and I had to let the arrow go. And then when I let the, went to fucking let my bow down when he turned his head uh my release clicked on my thing and i shot right in front of me doing (laughs) it was but it was a it was it was it was awesome um but that glassing you know when you talk about farm country is way different than big woods now john has a completely different story where he's driving around and sees what i don't know damn well could be a booner uh, here in Michigan and, you know, then locates them in the swamp and, and, and goes out there to, to chase them. But how are you using glassing like on these like big woods type things or, you know, farm country is a a different because you've got all these big open areas and, and things like that. So, so I don't, I don't do a lot of glassing in, in the big woods to be a hundred percent honest. Um, I'm a working guy. So if I've got time, uh, uh, let's call it after July 4th ish, if, if I'm going to glass, I, I, I do stick to farm country just because it's, uh, the, the, those deer migrate so much in, in the big woods. Like they may not even be visible from the road. It's, it's just, to me, that's not a glassing game. Um, you know, for, for me at this time, I, I have a buddy who hunts some stuff and he does some glassing on hay fields. Um, in his big woods type habitat and uh, he'll drive roads in the summer and do that. But me personally, like I don't go to my public, uh, in glass, the big woods public in glass. I do, I do farm country glassing. And I think, uh, Oh, kind of a quick tip or tactic that I like to, to deploy is I, you know, people are so good at looking at their weather apps during season. You know, you live and die by that thing, but like in the summer, if I can see late in the week, like, I could probably get out and do a glassing mission, but I see Friday's high is 10 degrees colder than Thursday's. Well, I'm going to set the wife up so I get all my stuff done. And, hey, Friday, like, I'd like to maybe go glass and, and I'll utilize um, that temperature drop or maybe I see a front coming through. They, it, it, if you can catch one of them rainstorms where that temp drops, you know, 15 degrees that, like, final half of the day because of a rainstorm come through, 
I, I swear, I, I think those deer are, are a little more on those on their feet those nights. And those are the nights to go glass. Um, it's funny, we're doing that actually with turkey roosting um, this next week. We, we opened Monday. And I sent a text message to the group of guys, and I circled a few of the better weather days because we're not turkey hunters by any means, but it seems like they, they're a little more vocal on those better weather mornings. The sun comes up, and they seem, seem to chirp more. So, I, you know, we circled the better three days out of the next 10 to – if we're going to do any preseason turkey, you know, scouting, that's when we should probably go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, John, with your history of of driving around and, and shining and, and, and kind of utilizing that, um, that's something that I've never done. And so how have you used that, John, like with, you know, with your 100% public land hunting? John, you, you guys can shine up there? Yeah, we can shine uh, all like every month of the year except for November. November, you cannot shine at all. Oh, that's yeah. a good that's a good rule. I like that. Well, to, yeah, Adam, that's a that's a pretty cool topic. Let's dive into that. Like, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you've kind of utilized that. Are you utilizing that in the big woods kind of type habitat? Um, not so much the big woods. Um, we can shine up till eleven o'clock, so it's kind of tough in the summer because obviously it gets dark you know, 10, 30, 10 o'clock. But as we're getting in, you know, closer up to the, to season start, um, like I'll use, utilize it. Like last year, I know there's some, there's some private and some ag fields around this big swamp area that I hunt. And that's where I'd seen, I mean, a a dandy buck. Yeah. And then I started putting, you know, puzzle pieces together, figuring out, and I know like a couple of the privates are hunting clubs actually. Oh. So, so for, in order for this deer to survive and be this big, he's got to be back in some of the nastiest stuff, Sure. you know, and, and getting away from people. So, but I ended up, uh, my wife and I went out to Maine for a color tour in October. And so for our opener, and I didn't get back until, you know, I didn't start hunting until three weeks into the season. And by that point, I think he had already been pressured out of, like, from where I was going. But sure. That, and we had a ton of rain, and everything was super wet. And I did hunt out there twice, and the, the first time I hunted out there, I almost ended my season. Just, I almost quit just because it was so terrible, like, no one would ever go out there. Almost left the tree stand. Our listeners have heard that story. Yeah, that's called retiring. You should ask my my counterpart Dave. He's retired several times, sometimes on difficult hunts like that, or he threatens retirement on a bad hunt like that. Yeah, almost retired on the first week. That clip that you put out that Dave recorded, I sent to John, and he's like, "I've never quit filming," and I'm like, "No, that's that's for hunting." <laughs> Yeah, he missed a big one at like seven yards, and like he gets done dropping what, like three or four f bombs. He goes, "If you can't f and shoot him at seven yards, you might as well retire," or something like that. And I was just like, "This is emotional gold," because a lot of people been there, and you know, ten years ago, that would have never been shown anywhere in the hunting industry. And I right. think it's great that guys like yourself are like, "Oh yeah, we all been there." <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, we only have so many like I said, this whole filming thing for us is all an evolution of failures. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of misses or bad hits or what. I mean, like our Turkey season last year was only missing. Um, I got a really nice, 
well a little bit yeah gosh and my big fat ass running across the field trying to chase him down and you know and then you know we got a video of a really nice buck um you know i you know 100 inch buck whatever frank misses him twice i mean i mean what are you gonna do but you got to put that out there and i mean the 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 bird that that frank missed last year the turkey I had to let the audio run because they're like old men, like like grumpy old men, like arguing back and forth, like 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 women about whether he should have shot or or whatever. Right, what are you doing? Let him stop. <laughs> I, I mean, I just had to let the audio run, and that's kind of what the whole thing. I mean, I just had some stickers printed uh, for our patreons of my father-in-law pulling an arrow out of a, a the tree, the one that he missed on camera and at the end of the thing he says those knocks are really bright (laughs) and so the stickers say knocks are bright and it's frank pulling the arrow out of a tree i mean that's what we do here at the bowhunter chronicles podcast we are an inspiration you think your season sucked well come on and see us in the quote-unquote industry and how bad we're fucking it up you know but but speaking of that like the, (laughs) the that hunt that i had where I said I almost retired, I carried like all my gear. I got the camera gear, everything. And I get out to the spot and it was only three quarters of a mile, but it took me two hours to get there. It was that nasty, just wet, um, you know, getting stuck and falling down. And then it started pouring rain. Well, I got to up the tree and I'm carrying the muddy pro arm that weighs about freaking eight pounds. I swear with a little tiny camera that weighs about two ounces. And I didn't have the base plate with me. So I lugged it all up, had the camera mounted, the arm mounted, and I go to put the camera on it. No base plate. So oh, I'm like, oh, oh. oh, my God. After all this shit, then I didn't have the base plate. But then it started pouring down rain where I wouldn't be able to film anyway, so I had to put it away. But, yeah, that was just like the icing on the cake. Yeah. I did it one more time. Then I, I think we actually took a picture and posted it on our Instagram because – the, the second time I forgot the base plate, I just took the camera, I took my bow rope and just tied it to the freaking camera. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, we, we, you film long enough, that, that stuff's going to happen. I had it one time and I had a shooter, a, a borderline shooter, and I think if I would have had my camera arm, I'd probably shot this buck. As, uh, but the same thing, I brought the arm and I didn't have the uh, base that goes on the tree, and it's just going to happen. We, You know, you, you it, that. That's part of it. And it's funny too, you mentioned like uh, you went on this like real difficult hunt. Like I feel like what also like separates these guys is like, you know, doing these terrible hunts over and over and over again. Eventually it's going to work. Like I feel like that, like you just described a hunt that's, that sucks. And if you, you know, it's easy to, I guess it's easier to do one time, but if you did that hunt like multiple times, I got to think you'd luck into, into something. I think that separates a lot of guys. Yeah. I went back there when it froze up and I wore my waders and that was a mistake. By the time I got busted through all the way out there and I went to get up the tree, my waders froze solid. So oh, geez. <laughs> ended up just and by the time I got out there though there was there was no sign. It was like wow. There's a spot that I hunt that I know that there's good bucks in there and I just I think I bumped one out of there coming in from the from the backside and no matter which way I go in, it's, it's three quarters of a mile. 
but every time I've been in there, it's been waist deep water. Like I can't navigate the path through this water. And I wore hip boots and I went over the hip boots. I wore, I wore, you know, 16 inch boots. I'm over those. And, but I really do feel like that's, you know, you say that that's what like sets you apart from everybody. Um, I would say to me is like that, like outside of, you know, um, shooting a four point, getting it on camera and being able to share it with my father-in-law and document that whole experience, the whole documenting the that the thing is, is completely, I mean, is a visceral experience in itself because you can share it's something that you have forever. You know, it's one thing to tell somebody something it's it's another thing to be able to show them exactly like what happened in that, you know, like you said about these guys that are walking in two miles or are they, you know, say, Hey, like I'm not full of shit. Like this is really what happened. Um, but I think that, that, that walking in, like going through that water, like that, that separation, type thing makes it that much more of an experience as a, as a hunt, you know? I mean, I've heard you say before that you've got a small piece of private property and you, you, you hunt that, you know, sparingly or whatever to, to do your best with it. But I feel like, you know, kind of like we talked about like turkey hunting and private land and kind of like, you know, cell cams and, and whatever, um, walking out to a ladder stand or walking out, you know, and, and getting up the same stand, the same tree, the same thing every time. Like, I feel like that working for it, like no matter what the deer is, makes it an accomplishment. Um, you know, uh, again, like you said, you're going to luck into a, a good one or, you know, you're, you're going to find yourself in the right spot eventually. But I think that that's what it is to me is that like, that's what makes it mean so much more than a kind of like a, you know, it, it's different, but like a, a, a Lee and Tiffany, like penned up deer, you know, it's not sure. one that you've named and, you know, yeah. well, am I going to shoot Ted today or Danny or whatever? Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely, Oh, I agree. Like all the, 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 it sucks factor that goes into, to, to a harvest. And, and when it all comes together, like that's just, that's, you know, it, it's not a, about that, that particular buck harvest or that doe harvest, but like, you know, all the, the it sucks stuff that goes into that, that to, to make it happen. Like that's, that's when you're just like, Oh my gosh, like I set out to accomplish this. And I, I went through hell and high water. And, and like, I feel like, you know, if you, if you watch a lot of, uh, I've killed a few of these bucks on camera, like I, I kind of freak out or I, I get a little bit more, uh, jacked, uh, if you will, than, than the guy that, you know, maybe didn't have to, 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 to kind of grind it out. Uh, I, I, you know, I, it's easier to go hunt my, no offense, my, my family's land. I don't have to beat anybody in the parking lot. I've got mowed trails, you know, in and around it. Um, I know where the deer are going to be. If I go to this piece of public hike in and go to this spot, how do I know, you know, Timmy with a 410 wasn't in there blasting squirrels the other day and, and there's not even going to be a deer that shows up. And I do really think that, that some of those extra efforts make it that much sweeter. And I could see a guy who's really into land management and habitat improvement when he builds this masterpiece over years and then harvests a buck on it. Like, 
you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into that. And I think that's a similar feeling, um, to the guys that, that, that do these shitty hunts that we just talked about. Oh, shitty hunts is, is all relative because I mean, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of more time on this because we've talked about it before, but like I took John on a wild goose chase on a piece of property that he hates. And, um, you know, he damn near, I mean, he was that full draw to deer that needed to take two more steps and the, and the wind just shifted and we didn't beat a guy to the parking lot. He was going to hunt, I don't know, three, 400 yards from where we were. We had to walk past him, uh, to get where we were going, tried to take Twice, a different route. And, uh, we, we did a few loop-de-loops and whatever, and got to a spot near where we wanted to, if we would have set up correctly the first time, but it would have made that hunt so much more just because of like i guess the wild goose chase that i took john on um yeah. and a piece of property that he hates like hates hates like i hate it <laughs> yeah but like um my buddy dave has said this and i think this is like something like we kind of oh i, I tell myself this in the dark when i got a headlamp on and you're navigating do what's hard and do what's right like if you want to chase these big bucks on, on public land or your top caliber buck, if that's your goal, there are no shortcuts. You got to do what's hard and do what's right. And I do the same thing in the video world where I want to produce at this level. I got to do what's hard and I got to do what's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're working on that. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we just ended up where we are, uh, podcasting because i thought you know if people can stomach the audio quality they'll get to know us and uh th they'll stick around um where it, with something visual like there's i mean the audio completely goes ar along with it but it's m it's so much more difficult i feel like to to tackle audio video good story kill something it's like jesus christ this is this is awful and i feel like you've done a very like incredible job of doing that and that's obviously where it's gotten you um these other opportunities but now you've started to uh you know you started uh kind of critiquing the podcasts um and you you know, you said a few things that, that, like I said earlier, you know, before we started recording, that stuck with me. And uh, I've, I've definitely taken those to heart. And so now you've thrown your hat into the, the podcasting game. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So, like, I did, like, a oh, for a while I was doing, like, a podcast update. And my goal there was, like, oh, as a podcast fan, you'd hear these conversations. You almost want to partake in it. And so my goal was, hey, take this little tidbit. Um, like, you know, I also did it when you guys had range ferry on, like, I was like, you know, if you're into aero builds, here's like a couple of my quick takeaways, but you got to listen to the whole thing. Cause it's really good. Um, but like, yeah, now we, you know, we're kind of dabbling in, into the podcast realm and, and as far as we've got seven episodes out there. Um, and I just think it's more, it's not going to be the, the core of what we do. Obviously that's all the, the video stuff that, um, I think our brand is kind of built around that. The, the podcast is a, an extension, but it's going to be coming obviously from like our perspective where we're in this evolution stage. We have, you know, 
topics and, and, and talks around deer hunting, especially for the mobile guy, the public land guy, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm somebody that has some access to a few of these guys from whitetail addictions, from the Dequistas. But a lot of it, I think, is going to be me and Dave talking about, we learned this. And if we'd have known this at 18, how many, you know, I think this would be a cool topic for that guy going through that evolution stage. Um, and, and that's, I think, where we're headed with it with that. And I'm going to have on some of these addiction guys, but I, I think I'm going to try and steer them and tie them to guys that are eager to, to evolve in this bow hunting game because I think that's what podcasts do really well is, is conveying information. Um, when you have a host that, that directs a conversation a certain way and gets the most out of your guests, like, you know, you, you, when you guys have a guy on from Michigan or, or I, um, anything sort of arch related, John, you know, you do just an awesome job of pulling the most from these guests. When you had Jason Campbell on, you get the most from him because you're, essentially in his backyard or in very relatable, you, you know how to guide that conversation. So the white tail experience podcast is we're going to try and pull for that guy that's evolving. That's hunting probably mostly public land and is very interested in, in being a high caliber deer hunter. And so with your podcast to this point, it's something that I have yet to, to dive into. And I thought I'd, I, I would say that it would be an impossibility for John um, to do, uh, just a solo podcast to just sit there and, and just kind of go through And your podcast to this point has been, you know, kind of, um, introductions, uh, style and all that. And they haven't been so much long form, um, you know, so some of ours have been, you know, three hours or, or whatever this one is, it's been an hour and a half or so. Um, so going forward, and I guess in your, from your perspective, like from where you stand as a hunter, as a podcast consumer, um, all of that, um, do you continue, do you think you're going to continue to do kind of like the short form, kind of like quick hitters, or is it just going to be as they come and, and with the content? Yeah, I think, I, I do think that it's going to be that, 20 to 45 minute sweet spot. Um, I think if I have a guest on, they'll, they'll go a little longer format. Um, just because I can, I can then pry and bounce back and forth. Um, I, I plan to, to interview uh, a few of these addiction guys. And I think those conversations will go longer. Dave and I will, will, will probably have a very targeted format where, where it's, it's, it's going to be, let's, let's focus on this topic is what we're going to hammer. And that's, that's all we're going to do on, you know, this, this episode, if you will. Um, yeah, it is, it is tougher to sit there and talk to the mic, but you know, I write out my notes. I can, you know, I, I, I take away my bullet points and I got a little bit of practice when I was doing those, those podcast, uh, overviews, uh, there for a while. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolution and, and it, you know, it'll, I'll kind of find my style and where it all sets, just like I kind of do with the video, uh, aspect of thing. I think, uh, uh, that, 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 that'll come with, with a little time. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've appreciated listening to it because it's like, again, uh, I love your content and I've said that and you know, on your videos and stuff like that. And you said, Oh, you know, it's not that great or, you know, we can still improve. But I think from the perspective of the, 
that guy that is um, is evolving and is able to say, I am evolving. That you know, there's so many people that want to be like, well, look at me, I'm at the top of my game, and I'm I'm the standard, um, or, or this is this is where you should be, um, is completely different. There's a, a you know, there's very few people out there, or there's a select few people out there. I feel like that are saying, you know, this is what I'm doing. You know, you don't have to try to be me. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to help you. Um, you know, and I can help you in your evolution. I think you're doing a great job at that. And I'm really glad that you've started a, a, a podcast to kind of, you know, take that and be able to do it on, I think probably for yourself, it's probably a much less stressful thing than trying to edit this full length video and combine you and Dave and, and, and all of the guys and, and, and get it together. So sure, uh, yeah, man, ours is, a, <laughs> is much reduced, but no, I appreciate those kind of kind words around, Oh, that direction that I'm going to take and, and the approach and, and um, yeah, I appreciate you kind of tuning in and listening. Uh, it's, it's something that I think, uh, I think I'll get, I think I'll find my craft with it, but, but um It'll get there. I, I, I like where it's headed. I, I think uh, I think there's a sweet spot too for um, somebody that is is you know I think you get a lot of these guys on the Facebook groups, the forums that you know they they try to talk big buck tactics, if you will, but really aren't you know hunting at that level or, or have that history to to really speak to that. Um, and I think if you look at a guy in that evolution stage, which is kind of where I think I am. I, I'm going to go ahead and ask this guy who's killed way more bucks or done it at a high level, regardless of state location type of ground. I'm, I'm going to ask him, Hey, like, tell me about this. You know, let, let's back up. Uh, I, Adam, I think you, you know, you, you've, you've done it a few times here where you're like, well, let's touch on this a little more. You know, I think you, you do a good job in something that as a podcast host is, is a, is a key skill is, is getting the most out of your guests. And sometimes that is backtracking. And, and so I think me as kind of that evolving hunter, I've, I've, I've started to knock down some bucks on a good level, public land style. Um, I'm hoping with this podcast to pull more from these guys that have done it at that next caliber. Well, and I, I've said it a few times and I, I, I just continue to say it cause I, I feel, I don't know, like I said, I, it becomes disingenuous at, at some point, but I don't feel like with with our group, so with our podcast, Frank, Ernie, John, myself, like we don't have a problem killing deer, like or locating deer. Sure. But we have never really chased big deer. And so by entering into this podcast and starting to to talk to these higher level hunters, um is is a real like paradigm shift because it, you know, everybody wants to kill a big buck and everybody says, well, I can't, they give you reasons why they can't do it. And then they look, my father-in-law, you know, Frank, he's, I mean, killed hundreds of deer. I mean, tons of bucks, but never the big bucks. And so when we talk about this sort of tactics, when we talk about these sort of measures, he says, 
what's wrong, you know, with the way that I hunt, the way that I've taught you guys, the way that, you know, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like the things that we're trying to implement are trying to be just one more level, just trying to improve just one more little bit. And I think that that's one thing that gets, gets lost in the shuffle is where everybody wants to talk about, um, you know, the, they do this or they do that or they do that. It's like, if you don't do it on a consistent basis, then, you know, it doesn't really matter because I mean, I've killed the biggest buck that I'm ever going to kill in my whole life in Ohio on a whim. Um, and it's, you know, it, it just, it just happened. And I've, I've, I have been able to concede that, but it doesn't it stop. Just to interrupt you, it wasn't like just a whim, like we just went out and just sat in the woods. You, you, you know, drove to Ohio one. I mean, that's some effort there. <laughs> well, we were on, we were headed to that area because I had seen him. I went there to kill that deer, but. Yeah, well, I seen that buck the year before. I, the year before, I had tagged out and another uh, hunting partner of ours tagged out. And we ended up finding this spot and. Then we went and sat there, and I seen that deer the year before. And then on our way down, we had Adam and I talked about this article about seeing a deer in a certain spot, and they're going to be there if they're still alive. It's a really good chance they're going to be there within a few days span of that, you know, same time frame. Everything just lined up. We're like, we need to be. We get down there till like two in the morning to the hotel. We didn't even have our, our cabin yet. Our listeners have heard this story many times, but, you know, need to say we got up, we had a two-hour nap, had to get up, go to Walmart, get our hunting license, got in the stands, and then, you know, I don't even think Adam was in the stand 15 minutes when that buck showed up and he shot him. So. Yeah. That's a cool story. Like, you know, like, there's a lot that went into that buck driving overnight. You know, many guys might have said, hey, we're going to sleep in that first day and recover. And not yeah. gone hunting, you know, or, 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 you, you know, John, you just talked about you not only heard or read an article, heard it on a podcast, whatever, but then you went and applied it in the real life. And I, I you know, that's, that's, I, I think that's a cool story. Like I, I really geek out on that stuff. And I think that's kind of why I did, I kind of like the podcast game and been a podcast fan for so long. But, but the point is, is that that isn't my normal and I haven't come to take that as well, now you need to listen to me. Like, I say that same thing and say, yeah, that was a fucking fluke. And, you know, yeah, I killed one. I, you know, I tagged out last year or two years ago and uh, killed my biggest deer in Michigan based on kind of like in-season scouting and things that I've learned and things that I've been able to apply. So I feel like I'm getting better. And this year where I killed a small buck on camera, had more opportunities or more encounters encounters with big, big bucks for Michigan or, you know, hundred inch plus bucks. Yeah. Um, That's your shooter. Like I, I, I think think people now are, are kind of understanding that at this point, that there is a shift of inches from, from shooter to shooter on a given area. I, 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 from a couple of those stories we've relayed in this podcast, I'd say, dude, you're getting on them. Like, like I think that's. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is like, so, but again, I don't say, you know, we don't come at this podcast or like from our stuff is like, 
do what we do. I mean, if you want to kill deer, I can show you how to find a deer and get in a tree and, you know, get an opportunity. And, and Frank is the, the king of in-season scouting for deer. Like, it might not be uh, – they're all going to be mutants. Um, it, it's going to be ugly deer. Um, but it, it's – and that's why he says, he says, well, you know, what am I doing wrong? Well, you know, what's wrong with the way that I hunt? There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with, with any of it. But what you were saying about guys on the Internet saying, you know, that, that they're the their style is the way to do it, I mean – you've had the opportunity to spend time with a lot of people and you know they say well here's my video turn it into a story and sure. here's here's the story that that transpired and for us we've had we've been fortunate enough we've put ourselves in a position to be able to talk to enough people to ask the questions of what how can we be better and we've we've done our best to 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 do that so i mean i think again that's the beauty of the whole the whole podcast game as long as you know you're able to i mean i guess uh, someplace like know your role and i mean not overstep your yeah abilities yeah, I, think it, I think it comes through like i was watching um oh the the video you guys put out of, of shooting the uh uh the bull the turkey uh broadheads the other day uh, and and John was talking to tuning and he wasn't necessarily saying, follow me. This is how you, you know, get your bow ready for Turkey season. But I'm watching, I'm like, this dude knows what he's doing. Like it just comes across. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think as long as you kind of stay within your wheelhouse and, 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 you know, like, uh, admit to where you think you have some stuff figured out and maybe, Hey, this is where I need some help. I think, uh, I think people learn from that and, and they, 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 they kind of grasp to it. And, and I just wish, you know, I, I, I look at everything that's out there today. Uh, like we talked about earlier, there are so many specified points to, to, to get your small land tracks, to understand how to better hunt public land. And, you know, even down to the state, how to be a better deer hunter in Michigan. Um, I, 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 you know, I really wish this kind of uh, industry was around when I was, you know, 23, you know, right out of college when I had max time, little bit of money enough to maybe get a couple, you know, more tanks of gas to go hunt. Um, golly, that would have been a deadly combination. I think that would have been a fun time. Well, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for John to open up and ask the questions that he always asks. So I always ask the question, what's your uh, bow setup? What are you shooting and you know, arrows and all that? Sure. So I have a, a, a new breed blade um, that I have had for a couple years. Uh, the arrows I'm running are the Day 6 uh, 300 spine, I think. Um, so they've got a 50 grain insert up front. And then I got a, I'm, I'm going to, I just transitioned to 125s. They're coming in right at about 535 for, for overall arrow. Um, uh, I shoot the day six small, uh, um, oh, the, the, the Evo X heads, fixed blade guy. Uh, I've shot the, the Magnus Black Hornets in the past, really like those two. Um, uh, as far as rig on the bow, 
I don't have anything uh, special. I've got a, a cheaper site that I probably should upgrade and then just a HHA. No, do I have the Virtus on there? I think I got the Virtus Rest on there. What what pound are you shooting? Oh, uh, 65 pound. Uh, I, I shoot that bow in a 30. Um, I kind of float right around that 29, 30. I think I'm actually going to go nose button or kisser button this year because I missed a buck and I watched a video of Josh Bomar like ducking under a tree branch and he finds that nose button. And I'm like, you know what? I could see that working for me where I, you know, you get in a rush with the camera or I do a lot of still hunting where an extra point of contact might, might benefit me. Definitely go with the nose button. I just, I've, I'm going to do a video this weekend putting mine on. Okay, cool. cool. Uh, I shot kisser buttons for years and then got away from them because you can, you can definitely, you know, your kisser button can change, you know, Okay. on your face, but that nose button, I put one on, uh, one of our Patreon's bows and it, he's like, they come two pack and he's like, well, you can have one if you want. I just threw one on my bow and was messing around with it at the time. And it definitely, they're nice and sharp. Like you can, it'll, you can tell exactly where it's touching on your nose. And okay. I've seen the same video that Bomar put out. And yeah. He ducked under the limb and yeah. smoked that, that dandy buck. But yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll be doing a video, like I said, when I, Get around to it i'll be watching that thing man that's awesome <laughs> between turkey scouting and uh building uh my wife's listening getting all my uh to-do list done she's like all right when's your turkey season she said this to me today she's like i'm like well it starts tuesday she's like well you got six days to build your the hall table and a new entertainment center for the basement so <laughs> it starts tuesday so you're already lying to her no, it starts Saturday. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. That's fucking some OG stuff because you don't know when turkey season starts. <laughs> no, Saturday. Or my season starts Saturday. Sorry. Oh, man, this has been fun. Like, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and kind of, um, you know, fumbling through this with us with this whole, a whole new uh, uh, format we've kind of got to do here. Now, John and I live very close, but it's not. It's not uh, our, our normal setup. So, I mean, I do appreciate it. So how can everybody figure out, uh, you know, who the Whitetail Experience is, follow along with you, and, you know, where would you direct them? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I would go ahead and um, oh, look us up on Instagram and Facebook, uh, the Whitetail Experience, black and orange logo there. And then the YouTube channel has a, a couple of these hunts uh, from the past couple years. And uh, that channel also has some, like, quick you know videos on like you know stick and stand height tests um building your own aiders um just a lot of stuff kind of more related to the public land guy um we do a couple quick scouting journals um so 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 definitely check that out there and then um with uh whitetail addictions i'm the editor for that we we were working through several of those builds uh those are going to be on the lone wolf custom gear youtube channel Okay. Well, like I said, I mean, I really do appreciate it. And uh, we're definitely going to have to do this again, um, maybe closer to deer season and kind of figure out, uh, you know, kind of what you guys have uh, in the works uh, so we can follow along. Because like I said, I, I always look at your guys' stuff kind of as the 
the everyday guy public land standard um, because, you know, we're really motivated and inspired by, you know, born and raised in the hunting public by showing you that they can do it. Um, and, you know, obviously the guys over at the hunting beast do a great job, um, at getting the information out. But as far as putting all of those things together with production quality and storytelling and getting it done, I mean, you guys do an awesome job. So I would tell everybody to, to, to definitely check out the whitetail experience because they inspire me to be better. Thank you. No, that's, those are very kind words on all aspects. And, and I really appreciate it. I do kind of pride myself on some of the, uh, the videography and the production, uh, uh style that we, we kind of hold ourselves to that, that, that standard. Uh, and, and I appreciate you, you, you commenting on that. <laughs> well, like I said, I, I really appreciate it. I think that's all we got for this evening. Take it easy. All right, John. Good luck, man. Uh, I, I know you, you start Tuesday, and I assume it's bow only, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even... You don't even mess with shotguns. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. All right. All right.